This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be another adapted OrthoBullets core webinar from the OrthoBullets core curriculum, and this one will be reviewed by Dr. Mark S. Cohen, who is a professor of orthopedics and director of the hand and elbow surgery department at Rush University Medical Center. The elbow dislocates most commonly by a supination mechanism. The form supinates and slides out, if you think about it, in order for the radial head to get here and not fracture, it first has to supinate away from the capitellum and then the elbow slides out the back. The most common mechanism is a posterolateral lateral elbow dislocation, maybe 90%. There are other mechanisms, but the elbow dislocation most usually occurs by a supination of the form. The radial head slips behind the capitellum and as the elbow dislocates out the back, the humerus can shear off the tip of the coronoid. Again, a type 1 coronoid shear fracture from an elbow dislocation mechanism. Elbow dislocations are second only to the shoulder in terms of adult dislocations. Elbow dislocations are the most common joint that dislocates in the pediatric or adolescent individual. Um, the mechanism is typically a fall on the outstretched arm. Again, the form is supinating on the humerus. It's a valgus uh, axial load mechanism, external rotation, in which the radial head slips past the capitellum. And I'll get a little bit ahead of myself, but when the radial head does not supinate adequately to slide past the capitellum, the humerus comes through not only the coronoid, but through the radial head. And that's the simple mechanism of a terrible triad. So the only difference between a dislocation of the elbow without a fracture and a terrible triad is how much the form has been able to supinate before the form slides posterior to the humerus. So a terrible triad is really a supination injury, which is transradial head and transcoronoid. The humerus, again, comes through both of those anterior aspects of the proximal form. When the elbow dislocates, almost always you have a complete disruption of the lateral and the medial ligament. We think that the lateral ligament fails first. That's how the radial head slips posterior to the capitellum. And we think of the lateral ligament as being the more important ligament for elbow stability. When I trained 30 years ago, we were taught the medial ligament is the most important. It's now clear that's not the case. The lateral ligament is most important for keeping the ulnohumeral joint from subluxating. And again, it's that supination mechanism that's most commonly involved in dislocation. This cascade of soft tissue injury from lateral to medial was described many years ago, 1991. It's the classic article on this posterolateral rotatory mechanism. The lateral ligament most commonly pulls away from the humerus. And as the form supinates away from the humerus, the medial collateral, the medial collateral ligament fails last. When you have a completely dislocated elbow, almost by definition, you've ruptured both ligaments. And again, you've ruptured lateral to medial as the elbow supinates away from the humerus. It's important to understand that it's not only about ligaments. This is something that we worked on during my fellowship. We started to evaluate what's important in terms of elbow stability. 
Well, we have the bony anatomy, the ulnohumeral joint, the radiocapitellar joint. We have the lateral ligament coursing from the humerus to the ulna. But it turns out the muscles are important as well. The muscles originate across the humerus. They live on top of the ligament. And the muscles, by definition, all of the muscles, in fact, the brachialis and the biceps and the triceps all exert a traction phenomenon on the anterior joint, pulling it into place. In terms of the lateral ligament, there's all of the extensor muscle mass, the extensor tendon origins provide dynamic stability. So why do simple elbow dislocations, which tear the lateral ligament, why do they most commonly heal without surgery? It's because the muscles are still intact and the dynamic forces across the elbow keep the joint in a congruous position and allow the lateral ligament to heal. So again, there's primary and secondary stabilizers of the lateral ligament. Again, posterolateral lateral being most common. If you start to look at your x-rays in the emergency room, when people dislocate, you'll start to see the radial head and the form are most commonly posterior and they're lateral. And elbow dislocations from a treatment standpoint can really be classified into simple and complex. A simple elbow dislocation, by definition, is an elbow dislocation that occurs without a significant bony injury that in and of itself would lend to instability of the elbow. We're talking about most commonly radial head fractures and coronoid fractures. What do you need for a coronoid fracture to be complex? You need a type 2 a fracture involving down to 50% of the coronoid, which is quite uncommon. What do you need from the radial head? Well, as we heard earlier, the anterior aspect of the radial head is very important from stopping the form from subluxating posteriorly. So any significant injury to the radial head makes an elbow dislocation complex. And the terrible triad is, of course, the poster child of a complex elbow dislocation, dislocation, radial head fracture, and anterior type 1 coronoid injury. The coronoid is not the problem here. It is the radial head and it is the dislocation that are the problem with these injuries. This has to be differentiated from that varus posteromedial injury to the coronoid that's not typically seen in association with dislocation. If you have a dislocation, Almost never is it a anteromedial facet injury. Those are more rotatory in which the ulnohumeral joint stays at home but just rotates with the defect into the medial coronoid. It's the posterolateral dislocation that occurs with simple and complex elbow injuries. These are not subtle. These patients come in with deformity of their elbow. You have to examine the shoulder and the wrist. There's a 10 or 15 percent associated injury proximal and distal to the elbow dislocation. Neurovascular status, of course, very important. And when you see these patients in the emergency room and you get your x-ray again, most commonly you'll see posterolateral elbow dislocation. What do you have to do? Again, you check for motor status, sensory status. Usually there's not a vascular problem. And you need to then look shoulder. You need to look at wrist. Uh, most commonly, you're dealing in the emergency room with plain x-rays. I think the indications for a CT 
are after you've reduced the elbow when you're trying to assess articular injury, when you're trying to assess what has been injured and what is intact. But CT scan, again, is the hallmark of any type of evaluation of the elbow from an imaging standpoint. How do you reduce the elbow? Well, most importantly, you need complete muscle relaxation. If you can't get a dislocated joint back into the socket in a timely fashion, I'm not talking about one that presents a day or two out. If you have an elbow injury or any type of joint injury and you're having trouble reducing the joint, you don't have enough muscular relaxation. So you either have to um, get these patients sedated through intravenous medication. You have to mask them. And how you, do you reduce the elbow? There's a variety of reduction maneuvers. They all involve reducing the medial to lateral translation, meaning bringing the forearm back toward the humerus from the lateral side, and then pulling the olecranon around the humerus. It's not really that difficult. I will tell you that anytime you reduce an elbow in the emergency room, it's important to gently extend the joint. These are typically unstable in extension, and it's important to document, for example, if you can extend it to 20, 30, or even zero. If you can extend it to 50 or 70 and the elbow starts to subluxate, that's very important information for the medical record. It doesn't necessarily mean they will require surgery, but when the elbow starts to dislocate in any degree of flexion past 30 degrees, you have a potentially unstable situation. These simple elbow dislocations without a significant fracture, many have that type 1 coronoid. These can be treated with initial immobilization followed by early range of motion. Again, no problem waiting five days, no problem waiting a couple weeks. If you're worried about any elbow from a stability standpoint, you can simply start motion in a supine position. The elbow will not dislocate against gravity. So if we're really worried or if you have a large patient, an overweight patient, you can have them lie on their back and work on range of motion, straightening the elbow toward the ceiling. That is the safest way to recover mobility. But in reality, almost all simple dislocations by definition are stable. Almost all of these can be treated with an early range of motion program. We tend to use not a sling, but a splint to rest the joint coming out for range of motion exercises in the early post-injury period, whether that's five days, three days, 10 days, or 14 days, probably does not matter. The reduction maneuver, as we mentioned, involves medial to lateral translation to bring the forearm underneath the humerus. If you have a palpable clunk, that's a good thing. If the elbow just feels like it slides in and you're not sure it's in and you have to hold it flexed and get an x-ray to ensure that it is reduced, that is, again, a bad sign and it's a potentially unstable situation. So the ones that are almost sometimes difficult to reduce that clunk in those are sometimes the best injury because they're the most stable and the most difficult to re-dislocate. The elbow, of course, is more stable in flexion. When you flex the elbow, you have a more congruous situation. It's more unstable in extension. So we try to protect these elbows from extending when we're concerned, especially extending with them sitting upright because gravity and the weight of their form are pushing that elbow posteriorly, 
essentially recreating subluxation. There is some debate on whether you should supinate or pronate these forms when you're rehabilitating the elbow. I will tell you that the lateral joint reduces in a pronated position. When you pronate, even if you have ligament insufficiency laterally, this brings the radial head up to the capitellum. The medial joint reduces in supination. So even if you have no ulnohumeral ligament medially, no medial collateral ligament, when you supinate, that joint becomes closed down and congruous. So there is some thought if you have an elbow dislocation and you're worried about the joint supinating away from the humerus, you can rehabilitate these people in a pronated position. We tend to use a neutral position. It's the easiest for everybody to understand. And we have them work on supination and pronation in a maximally flexed position. Why? Because, again, that's the most stable position for the ulnohumeral joint. Rotation, by definition, will put some strain on the medial and the lateral collateral ligament. So we have them rotate their form and recover supination and pronation only in a fully or maximally flexed position but there is some debate in this regard. The mobilization, again, you don't have to worry if you have to wait 10, 14. I've even in some situations immobilized for three weeks when you're a little bit concerned. I really don't believe that it by definition means they will have a long-term problem of stiffness. These joints dislocate, they fracture, they tear ligaments, they tear soft tissues. The determinants of elbow mobility are probably multifactorial and not absolutely linked to days of immobilization. Literature on longer mobilization leading to stiffness is from a long time ago in which the worst injuries were immobilized for the longer periods because people were worried about stability. These are retrospective studies that look back and said, well, the people who were immobilized for longer became stiff when they were probably pre-selected as the people with the worst injury. So again, I don't think you have to really be er worried with this early religious mobilization of the elbow. It probably was something that is not the most important ultimate outcome factor. Operative injury of the elbow dislocation is again, very rarely needed in a simple dislocation. I've been in practice approximately 20 years, and I've seen less than five simple elbow dislocations that were completely unstable. You still have to get an x-ray at three or five days. You have to get an x-ray every week for a couple weeks just to ensure that the joint remains congruous. The people who have simple dislocations who are not able to maintain a concentric joint They've not only lost the ligaments, but they've lost the muscles at the humeral origins medially and laterally. As I said, the muscles provide a secondary stabilizing force to the elbow. When the ligaments tear and the muscles tear in the setting of a simple dislocation, you can have a potentially unstable situation. I will tell you that the majority of time that we're talking operative are for those terrible triad injuries, radial head with the dislocation, and those are almost 100% operative. A terrible triad almost by definition needs surgery. So the problem is we've lost ligament, we've lost radial head, we've lost soft tissue, and you have to do something to restore stability of the elbow. 
Again, the concept of hinged versus dynamic fixator in the acute injury setting. It's not common to need a fixator. But again, if you've done everything from a bony and a soft tissue standpoint, and you're in the operating room, and you don't feel that you're leaving with a stable elbow, you really have to consider getting out a dynamic or a static hinge. Dynamic hinges usually have to be ordered. Most operating rooms have the medium external fixator. I like the medium external fixator to place two pins in the humerus, two pins in the ulna, and then it really doesn't matter what configuration. What matters is you have you put the arm across the body using gravity assist. You provide posterior pressure on the olecranon. You ensure that the elbow is seated and concentric, and then you tighten up the frame. You just want to leave the operating room with a concentric joint. That's most important. The external fixator is the answer when you can't leave the operating room in a stable situation. When you have a terrible triad, you're almost always approaching this from the lateral side. What you'll see is the entire lateral sleeve, or at least the anterior aspect of the lateral sleeve, tears off of the humerus most commonly. I think the coker interval is a little bit too posterior for this. I think that you're coming in more toward the middle of the extensor origin or just anterior to the epicondyle. Most of the time, the soft tissues have torn off of the humerus, so the approach is done for you, but you're usually coming in laterally. The lateral ligament, by definition, is the first thing to tear when you have an elbow dislocation. You have an obligate need to repair that. You're most commonly working on the radial head. You're most commonly working on the lateral ligament. Only in situations where you've replaced the radial head and you've repaired the lateral ligament and you're still worried about stability, do you have to go medially? For many years, I went medially and laterally on every terrible triad. What I found medially was a variable amount of tearing of the soft tissue, the flexor pronator origin and the medial collateral ligament off of the humerus. And what I learned very quickly was if the elbow seems stable after I finished the lateral side, the medial side was not as satisfying in terms of opening and repair as it was when I had a continued amount of instability after the lateral repair. So it's clear now we don't have to repair the medial side. As long as you have a congruous joint, the medial collateral ligament and the flexor pronator origin will heal. It's just like the MCL of the knee. As long as you have other structures that are stable, the medial ligament of the elbow will heal. The other important aspect is that the medial ligament of the elbow sees no stress in normal activities. We live with our arm away from our body. What stresses the medial ligament is throwing a baseball or torquing the elbow, and usually that's not a force. Valgus is not something that the elbow sees in the normal day-to-day -day life. So we don't really have to repair or work medially on the uh, medial ligament in the setting of dislocation. As I mentioned, almost always the coronoid fractures at the tip and the coronoid fractures laterally. I don't think I've repaired less than five or six coronoids in the setting of elbow dislocations. I've never had to go medially. It's usually a type 2 fracture in which the radial head has 
broken, the radial head ends up being replaced, and you approach the coronoid fracture through the lateral incision, you're looking right at it, and most commonly you do repair this with some type of internal fixation. I really don't like to use suture or string when I'm fixing articular injuries of the elbow that are required for stability. So usually it's small 2.0 millimeter anterior to posterior screws. Some people use screws from the posterior into the coronoid. I think that's slightly more difficult, but whatever you're comfortable with, you can approach the type 2 coronoid through the defect when you're working on a terrible triad because again almost always the radial head is coming out and it's going to be replaced. I don't think I've repaired radial head fractures in the setting of fracture dislocations less than probably five times. Every once in a while you'll have an elbow that dislocates, an elbow where the lateral ligament tears, and you'll have a simple shear fracture of the anterior radial head. More likely than not, although it looks like a simple shear, when you take that piece and bring it back in surgery, there is not only a shear of the piece, but there's an impaction of the edge of the fracture fragment and an impaction of what's left in the radius. So most of the time, we're not talking about internal fixation. We're talking about replacement. The safe zone is just something that you should hear and you can read about if you ever have to do open reduction on a radial head and it represents the place that you can place a plate on the rim of the radial head without blocking form rotation. And the way I remember it is, it's the straight lateral position with the form in neutral. With the form in neutral, if there is a plate placed straight laterally, it won't stop supination and it won't stop pronation. So neutral position, plate straight lateral is the safe zone. The arthroplasty is what's most commonly used. We heard a little bit about this earlier in the setting of the terrible triad. We want to make the radial head the correct circumference. When in doubt, we go small, not large. We want to, as Joaquin mentioned, make the radial head the correct length of replacement. Never go long. How do you know that you're not putting in too large or long of a radial head? From the lateral side, you look at the ulnohumeral joint, you look at the coronoid, and you make sure the coronoid is touching the humerus. You make sure the medial side of the, excuse me, the lateral side of the ulnohumeral joint is concentric, and then you measure the length from the capitellum to the radial neck that has been fractured. That's how you ensure that you don't overstuff or overlengthen the lateral side. After you've placed your radial head implant in, after you've tested it, you have to repair the entire soft tissue sleeve, including the lateral collateral ligament, back to the humerus on the way out. If you don't do that, you again do not impart stability to the elbow. And again, many of these concepts have been redundant because we're talking about the same type of mechanism of injury for elbow dislocation as we talked about for coronoid fracture. As I mentioned, when the soft tissues fail off of the humerus, most commonly they tear off of the proximal origin, what I term a bald eagle, that's a lateral epicondyle with no soft tissue attached. This is the not an uncommon finding on a terrible triad, and this again is what you see in the very rare simple elbow dislocation 
that will not stay reduced. It continues to subluxate posteriorly. And it's not that complicated. You take that entire sleeve, the collateral ligament and the extensor origin, and you pull that back to the humerus and suture it back to, again, stabilize the lateral side. In the setting of dislocation, almost never do you then have to go medially and repair the medial ligament as we discussed. Um, the hinged fixator, there, I really have no problem if you want to use a hinge frame or a static frame, but in the acute setting, this is unlike the chronic setting, in the acute setting, a fixator is very rarely needed. By the current implants that we have, by the current techniques of soft tissue repair, you can usually leave the operating room with a stable situation. If you're really worried, you can flex the elbow up past 90 degrees, put a splint on. You can continue to keep the elbow, for example, in an elderly patient, flex past 90 degrees, which locks the joint in and just wait three, four, five, six weeks before you begin range of motion on the elbow. So we have to understand, again, the goal is to reduce and obtain a concentric joint. And I tell every one of these patients, our goals of surgery are to get the elbow back in the socket and to get the elbow stable. And there is a chance that you will have stiffness and you will require a second surgical procedure for stiffness. So they have to at least hear that and then when, for example, if it happens, it's not necessarily a surprise. So here's um, one of our orthobolts questions. A 33-year-old has a dislocation, an elbow dislocation. We're now a year and a half out. We have very limited mobility, 30 to 95 degrees. The ring and the small finger have a little bit of a claw deformity, which suggests an ulnar nerve problem. The x-ray, there's heterotopic ossification. Heterotopic ossification involves the formation of mature lamellar bone in inappropriate locations. It's a fascinating topic. And for reasons we don't fully understand, the one joint in the body that is most prone to heterotopic bone is the elbow. It's proportional to the severity of the injury. You see it in about 3% of elbow dislocations, but you can see it in up to one-third of elbow fracture dislocations. The other important take-home is that when the elbow gets injured, whether it's a radial head fracture, whether it's a terrible triad, and you have a concomitant head injury, even a small concussion, the incidence of heterotopic ossification increases exponentially. And it's been shown that even a small radial head fracture in the setting of a closed head injury leads to about a 90% chance of motion-limiting heterotopic ossification. So again, it's a fascinating topic. We don't fully understand it very well, but we have a stiff elbow after dislocation. We have a claw deformity. We have heterotopic bone. So the obvious answer is we have to remove the heterotopic bone. We have to free up the ulnar nerve, and we have to do an elbow release. We have to release the capsule. The poster bundle of the medial collateral ligament is the posterior onohumeral joint capsule. When you're releasing or freeing up a stiff elbow, we actually cut the capsule. We cut the posterior capsule, we cut the anterior capsule, we cut the capsule along the, or tear the capsule along the onohumeral joint. So this, of course, is the answer. We can always come back and do an elbow release as long as the joint is concentrically reduced. The ulnar nerve not uncommonly scars down after elbow injuries. So patients that have limited elbow flexion 
not uncommonly have ulnar nerve scarring. It can be the ulnar nerve that becomes scarred down that actually leads to the loss of elbow flexion. So anytime someone has a traumatic injury of the elbow and they're developing stiffness, you have to evaluate their hand for motor and ulnar sensory loss. You have to perform a Tunnell's sign along the ulnar nerve in the cubital tunnel. They don't always come in and they say, I have tingling and numbness. They come in and say, I'm stiff and I have pain along the inside of the elbow. So the ulnar nerve really has to be evaluated and you have to appreciate that the fact that the ulnar nerve is commonly involved in any elbow that is stiff after a trauma. And one of the tenets of elbow release surgery is to make sure you take tension and pressure off of the ulnar nerve. Because in this individual who has very limited flexion, when you do an elbow release and you rapidly recover elbow flexion up to 130 or 140 degrees, that ulnar nerve will be crying out if it's scarred down in the cubital tunnel. And I learned the hard way when I had a patient who we did an elbow release on years ago who post-operative day one had no ulnar nerve function and I had to run back to the operating room to release the ulnar nerve. So I'm not embarrassed to say I don't remember the last time I did an elbow release where I didn't in some way, shape, or form address the ulnar nerve. It can be the cause and it can be a problem after the surgery. What's the major complication of elbow dislocation? It's stiffness. Stiffness early. Extension is the hardest to get back. Flexion usually comes back in the first six to eight weeks. It can take over six months to gain maximum extension back. I think postromedial instability. Again, this is the isolated anteromedial facet fracture. I don't really think it belongs in the discussion of elbow dislocation. That's a separate entity. It involves that subluxation where the humerus comes in. It really does not typically lead to an elbow dislocation, so you really don't have to worry much about this posteromedial elbow instability pattern. It's the posterolateral pattern where the forearm supinates that will be most commonly seen if there is some type of recurrent instability. Um, we talk about nerve injury. It's normally not a nerve injury. It's a subtle nerve problem. And again, the ulnar nerve cannot be forgotten. The ulnar nerve is not uncommonly the cause of stiffness. You can see heterotopic ossification, as I mentioned. And in terms of stiffness, it really correlates most, if there is a test question, that stiffness risk correlates most with the severity of the injury. And this literature that suggests if you don't begin moving the elbow within three weeks is based on retrospective data where the people who were immobilized more than three weeks had the worst injuries. So the most, um, the highest risk patient for stiffness is someone who's had a bad bony and soft tissue injury. So that's really the important take home. That's all for this review. If you would like access to the full video version of these core webinars, sign up for the OrthoBullets core curriculum today. There will be a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.